HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte, a very, very cold Damon Bolte in Brooklyn, New York. It is not the place to be right now. I would rather be in Austin, Texas, hanging out with our buddy Scranton Tui of the new Whistler's Bar. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, I, you know, probably not as good as you guys are doing over there on 6th Street right now. Um, it is It is going to snow again tonight. And it has been just nonstop. Uh, I, I wish I were down south with you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the temperature there? Uh, last I checked, it was 21. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we're, I think, at 55 right now with the sun shining. That sounds, that sounds like like beach weather, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's get into it, man. Um, okay. You've got, uh, you've got the bar. How long have, uh, have you guys been open with Whistlers now? About nine months. Great, and you guys. Uh, let's talk about the, I mean, like. Well, first of all, tell me some about the co- uh, the concept of the actual bar and some of the st- uh, stuff that you guys do a little bit differently. Uh, well, we try to mix sort of the the um, cocktail world into uh, the volume world. So uh, we try to do um, good. Uh, people put us in the craft cocktail um, category. Uh, all of our bartenders are super experienced and knowledgeable in the craft world, but we're in an area of Austin that is a high-volume area, so uh, we try to do somewhat of a craft cocktail with just a higher volume, uh, speedier, more efficient, try to get the cocktail out quicker so people aren't waiting a long time uh, kind of a casual atmosphere, but the building inside definitely represents more of a, a craft feel. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really smart move. I, I, there's nothing worse than sitting around waiting, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get a cocktail. Right. 
<laughs> I, I I try to do the same thing at my bars, um, and you know I I think that a lot of times that sometimes gets equated to not being not, not having the same like style of recipe, meaning less ingredients means less less, less thought out cocktails. But I think you know when we think about like the QB cooler and the mai tai. The Mai Tai is five ingredients, the QB cooler is nine, you know, and it's right. like a riff on that. And it's actually, no one talks about the QB cooler, they talk about the Mai Tai. So, exactly. you know, you think about things like that and the way that you can actually incorporate different flavors and ingredients to achieve, uh, in the end, a better product. Because for one part of that is you're not waiting forever for it. <laughs> exactly. What, what we started doing in the, the beginning was more of a, a dealer's choice style and, I know a lot of people have their opinions on dealer's choice, and uh, I did a 27-bar in three days New York trip, and I, I went into every bar on my research just asking for gin, anything you want to make me, or I'll take rum, anything. And I wanted to see, like, the quickness, the busyness of the bar, what style of drink, if they sized me up, if they didn't size me up, if they made me, like, a Negroni or an Old Fashioned, or if they were going to try to go out of the box and make me something fancy and, and crazy. And uh, so I enjoyed that whole process because my whole idea was to get my bartenders to basically size up the customer because the customer is everything in this business. And you want to cause a certain energy behind the bar uh, and then let the cocktails speak for themselves. So what we do at Whistler's is uh, all of our menus are done by the bar staff, and they're pretty much their creations. So it gets them to go home, practice, put things together that they haven't really put together, and try to learn about different ingredients going with different things and coming up with these cocktails. And then we go through them all, and we pick, and we put them on a menu. And so if you came into our bar and I looked at you, and I know you like old fashions, and uh, I wouldn't know that seeing you, but... I would, you would say anything you want to make me, and I could turn around and my dealer's choice could be just a really good old-fashioned. Yeah. Or it could be something that I created the night before that I think you would really enjoy. And uh, so that's kind of... Yeah, and I think as far as like how you're saying like dealer's choice, I feel like it's, it's very important, imperative, for every bartender to have like one stirred and one shaken from every spirits category. And it's kind of like their go-to, you know? And right. like just getting that first one out that way is really important it may be some sort of daiquiri variation or old like you said old-fashioned or negroni variation but mm-hmm. just having that in your pocket because you know like like you said you know if if i get a really good old-fashioned as a dealer's choice i'm super happy and right. same thing with the negroni but it's kind of cool it's like oh well this is this is a tailspin what is it oh, it's, it's actually it's a negroni with a little bit of absinthe in it and you turn someone on something but you didn't think too long about it because it's in your wheelhouse you know and then for the second round, you can start thinking about, like, all right, you look in your own, like, Rolodex of drinks and start thinking about what that next drink is going to be for them, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that when we started off, all the, the bartenders that uh, were working here basically came from craft cocktail worlds. And so the, uh, the dealer's choice, what was happening is they were uh, kind of feeling like they had to make something up on the spot. And so the efficiency of that whole idea was down the tubes because they'd turn around and they'd look, oh, right, what bourbon am I going to use and what am I going to put with that bourbon? And so throughout the nine months, we've like fine-tuned it 
to where they can make a, a, a Manhattan or they can make a martini if they wanted to. I remember going into the Daily in New York, and it was like the 15th or 20th bar we had been to in uh, a few days, and I walked in and I said, anything gin, whatever you want, make two of them. Nice. And this guy looked at me, he went over, he made me a martini, but he put out two martini glasses, took a little glass flask, poured the martini in the bottle, put a cap on it, labeled the, da- uh, the daily, and set it down. And I-, I remember looking at it going, oh, my God, that was so cool. Like, it w- wasn't anything super special. It was a basic martini, but the presentation and the thought he had behind it, and that might be something they do every night, mm-hmm. but from somebody that wasn't used to that or had never seen that, I was pretty blown away, and it was just a simple martini. I, th- I, I, I think presentation is most of what makes a drink. You know, like, you know how there's the old saying, like, you can have the best cocktail in the world, but if it's made by, like, an asshole bartender, then it's going to taste bad. But then vice versa, you can, like, order a, a terrible drink at, uh, like, a dive bar, but from an awesome bartender, and it's going to be the best drink you ever had, you know? So it's like... There's there's a balance of like the presentation, not only the physical presentation of the drink itself, but also the presentation from the bartender. But I think you know the the style, the format of that, how you're being served that drink is really important. There's so many variables, right? Yeah. Like when you start opening a bar, you're like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? It's different, you know. <laughs> and you're like, oh man, let's put it in like an old like motor oil can, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was that was a terrible example. But uh, no, no, it's good because when we opened up, I basically bought the cheapest glassware. Like my whole idea was, I wanted you to be able to come into my bar in Daisy Dukes and uh, a tank top with flip flops and get a really like one of the best drinks in Austin. But it wasn't served in the fancy glassware, and it didn't have the fancy coasters, and it was basically served in an old, you know gibraltar glass yeah and so at the beginning we served all of our drinks in gibraltars and yeah it worked out great but then as things started to progress and we started to get thrown into more of the craft world uh we we still use all gibraltars but we got highball glasses and different styles but still trying to keep that that feel of casualness and comfortableness because some places can be a little stuffy at times, or a little more fancy than you want it to be. Yeah, and, and plus, you know, especially, I mean, like from from the customer point of view, I, I really like it when someone can make a great drink in in a glass or a vessel that doesn't make me think that doesn't make me feel like it's too precious, you know? Because like, mm-hmm. I I don't know, I drink pretty pretty, you know aggressively i might say <laughs> so kind of need a thick bottom glass you know if i get really excited and i love to drink i might slam it down uh, I'm, okay i'm not you're i'm not gonna be allowed at your bar now am i <laughs> no no you're totally welcome here that fits right in that's awesome um but yeah you know what i mean like i in in from the the bar manager side i've you know every week i have to like think about and it, it just it stresses me out thinking about how much glassware gets broken in this mm-hmm. industry, and it ends up adding up. the The cost adds up so much, and then then you have to start incorporating that into the cost of other things. It's like I would rather have a rock solid rocks glass, you know, that's mm-hmm. going to last for a while, and 
have it be like there's also something really cool about those guys is that kind of make me think about like like a place that my dad was drinking you know like a long time ago like the same glassware that was used that my dad would drink out of i'm drinking out of now and that makes me feel pretty cool as well yeah there's something about walking into a place and getting taken by surprise kind of you know with the atmosphere the bar staff and then to get this really fine cocktail in just an average glass that the same bar down the street that's a shot bar uses the same glassware yeah. and so it kind of takes you away from the pretentiousness of it and it just brings you into like the reality of wow this is a really great drink yeah so i don't know yeah totally totally it's like oh i, I was just drinking a, a shot at casino el camino out of the same glass but now, now i'm down the street having like a craft cocktail um you know what look one of the things i really like about the austin bar scene and i haven't actually been back in a couple of years um i had to miss south by southwest last year but which is okay you know you can take a year off i guess yeah um but uh one of the things i like about the style of cocktails that are being made in austin is that for like per capita i would say there are more spicy cocktails mm-hmm. involved in austin than there are in any other city that that actually focuses on cocktails in the united states and it's just, you have so much access to all these great chilies and different like fresh ingredients and like cactus if you want to use it and there's just so many opportunities to riff on classics there and kind of it's it's far enough away from i mean i guess houston um has a pretty rock and bar and restaurant scene now but i know like the the culinary side of austin has always been kind of influential of the cocktails there sure and uh i don't know like the I, I remember, like, the first time, I, I want to say regrettably, and kind of, like, strangely, um, I think the first time I ever had a drink out of an actual coconut was in Austin, Texas, at, um, I don't think it's there anymore, it's, it's called Townhouse? Hmm. I don't know. It was, I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was called Townhouse. It was over, like, right around the corner from Peche. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I think it was only around for, like, a year, but I was like, oh, my God, and they were making, like, red pepper cola and serving things in real coconuts and i was like i can't believe it's like i live and i'm I'm from oklahoma i'm right on the red river right right across from i'm I'm from lone wolf oklahoma right across from uh, wichita falls and so you know i'm like i live in new york city the epicenter of you know cocktail making in the united states and it's like i can't believe it the first time i've ever actually had a coconut cocktail was in austin so that that's kind of a testament to the the actual care and creativity that's going on there yeah, and it's funny that you bring that up because uh, in reality to the, the craft cocktail uh, generation, I guess, uh, Austin, I feel, is like just now, just now coming into uh, that, that world. Like I, I, I've had a feeling that it's, we're like a year or two behind everybody else up until just recently, and there's so many people that are coming into town, opening up these craft cocktail bars, and doing just great things with drinks, and like you said, coconut drinks, and I I read in an article not too long ago that somebody was serving uh, a drink in like a Ziploc bag with a straw. (laughs) That's crazy. And Yeah, and uh, I don't know how good the cocktail was, but it's just like thinking out of the box a little, and uh, so it's exciting for Austin right now. 
and all the creativity that's coming in and that was here that didn't know. And, yeah, it, it's pretty cool to be a part of that in Austin right now. Yeah. Plus, like, you got a, there's a lot of moment. I mean, like, I remember, uh, like, five or six years ago, actually down there for South by Southwest, um, going to a uh, USBG, uh, the United States Bartenders mm-hmm. Guild, the Texas chapter house party, and meeting a lot of the, the kids around there, like Bill and all those guys. And, yeah. And, uh, and just thinking how cool that was. And, uh, and then also, now you've got some of our, like, expats from, well, now you you can call them Texpats, but uh, from from New York that are down there. My buddy Bill Mann is down there. He's doing the bar program at, at Key, Paul Key's restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you've Paul got, Key, you've got uh, Brian Floyd, the yep. bartender's fun. Um, awesome people. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those places that attracts, you know, creativity. Yeah. And you think from cross-stitching to making cocktails, I guess. <laughs> it's a really great group of people that are in the the craft uh industry here in austin and you know one of the concepts i had for my bar was family and uh creation like creating constantly and having my staff create as well and so all those people in the usbg they have events here and we go to events at other places and um floyd did a um, bartender thing last night at the firehouse and so every time you go, you see the same people and more, and so the the community is getting bigger and bigger. And you know, you have the Jason Cosmoses and the Bill Norrises, and so it's uh, it's a, it's good to be like I was saying, good to be a part of the growth because I think we've been like set back from that that world for a while, and now it's like hitting Austin, and Austin's growing at such a rapid pace. And to be a part of that, it's just it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. Hey, let's take a quick break um, just for a moment, and then when we get back, we'll continue talking. I want to talk a little bit about the east side and the development that's happened there over the past, uh, not even decade, because uh, I think it's very interesting the way that the the world, just on that, in that pocket of Austin, has really changed. Cool? Okay. Sounds great. All right. Back in a moment. Thanks. Without my walking stick, I'd go insane. Can't look my best, I feel undressed without my cane Must have my walking stick, cause it may rain And when it pours, can't go outdoors without my cane If I ever left the house without my walking stick That would just be something I could never explain The thing that makes me click on Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Without My Walking Stick. By Plexophonic on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Can't look my best, I feel undressed without my cane. Must have my walking stick. All right, we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy, and on the phone today, 
have our buddy Scranton Dewey from Austin, Texas, from Whistler's on East 6th Street. And right before the break, uh, well, I wanted to say something. I just thought about something on the break, and you were talking about how uh, you were saying that it feels like you're just getting caught up now to uh, a lot of the, the, you know, progression of uh, cocktails and, and bar stuff. And and you said, you know, that it seemed like uh, you're a little bit behind, but you're catching up. I just can't, I got I just got to talk shit on the TABC for a second because <laughs> they do not help, do they? Um, you know, I probably shouldn't say much about that. Uh, <laughs> no, they're cool. I mean, they've no, got to do what they have to do, right? And, yeah. I know. It, I just it, I, I can say that from like thousands of miles away over here. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're dealing with alcohol. Whenever you deal with alcohol, uh, a lot of problems can happen. Um, and so I think what they like to do is they want to make sure that everybody's being safe and kind of cover. I don't know, cover their own butts and cover our butts, and you know, there's got to be rules and laws. But yeah, they're uh, it's it's pretty tough. I know Texas is tougher than most. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's strange. Like, it's just a, a different setup. I've never worked in a state where you had to buy your booze from, like, Twin Liquors or, or Specs. Or, you know, you have an account with an actual, like, retail store rather than ordering from straight from the distributor, you know? Right. Because um, I'll do, like, 10, 10 case drops of Rittenhouse, <laughs> you know, because I go through so much. I can't right. imagine. I, and, like, here it would be a nightmare since nobody has cars, <laughs> you know, we use subways and, and, uh, bikes. So I could only imagine, you know, running to the store and, you know, getting, uh, 144 bottles of written house. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's also one of those things here too, that, you know, uh, a new spirit on the market if it comes in and you end up selling a bunch of it and they can't get it. Right. Yeah, you're kind of limited. I, I opened up a mezcal bar a few years back, uh, and it was only mezcal, and I only sold one mezcal, and it only held like 20 people, maybe 25. And uh, we were going through like I don't know 20 cases of mezcal a week, and yeah. we, we couldn't get it. That's insane. And because it was a new mezcal, and so there were numerous meetings with Twin Liquors and Specs and trying to, to organize that instead of being able to go it would definitely be easier to go to the distributors and right get that stuff so well you know the hurdles only make you uh, a faster runner i guess right exactly but uh yeah so right before the break i was uh i was wondering about uh if you could tell us a little bit about the the current east side of austin uh it's it started it's basically kind of like the williamsburg of austin as it were right it's it's kind of spread out that way and you know from from downtown austin it's kind of it's become more of an artistic like bar restaurant shop scene right yes definitely it's definitely grown quite a bit in the past few years it used to be like south congress you know everything started going south and then like now it's moving east and i think it's really cool it's 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 really neat the way it is separated by i35 because it almost makes it feel like it's a completely separate town in itself right Right. Uh, it, it's, um, it's got history behind it. You know, I mean, the, the west side of, uh, of the I-35, it has history as well, but there's just something about the east side that makes you feel like you're just in an older 
uh, I don't know, I want to say historical neighborhood, but it's just, it's older and it's got that feel and it definitely is getting bigger and bigger every day. And now that you have like the, the light rail over there, do you find that there are a lot more, um, a lot more people like actually living out there, like, like a different crowd, like coming out, like people are going to like UT or... I don't really, uh, I don't know. Like most of the east side, I've lived on the east side for about 12 years now. Oh, wow. now. Cool. And I have, I have friends that have been here for 15, 20 years on the east side when it wasn't really that safe of a place to be. Um, so the majority, I think, of the people on the east side are, are you know, the 30-something married with kids or, you know, just the 30-something single folks. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about the light rail. I've, ne- I've actually never taken it. I've been meaning to take my kids on it. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how much the, that would like bring to the east side or, yeah, I'm not not too sure about that. Yeah, I, I haven't actually read on it either. But it was still being worked on, I guess, when uh, the last time I was there. I don't know. Things like that typically bring people around. I mean, like... But- Austin's kind of a big bicycle city, too, mm-hmm. so it's like, why, unless you just absolutely need to carry, you know, 10 cases of Rittenhouse right. <laughs> at a time, maybe then you take the light rail, otherwise you're on your bike. Yeah, it's a pretty huge bike community. It's crazy how it's grown that way, too. Um, mm-hmm. That's only over the last, like, I would say like seven years that I really noticed it changing that way, because before that it was like, it's a big hot rod scene. I used to... I actually own a scooter shop in Oklahoma City, and there's a big like Vespa and Lambretta, like old school scooter scene down there, and mm-hmm. and also like big Harley scene. So we would go down there for rallies, and uh, I mean that was like the thing. And then like after a while, you start seeing a lot more bicyclists, and that's great because Austin is a very like progressive kind of like hip town. You would expect that you know you see like like a gang of like fixy you know track bikes <laughs> you know coming down. Oh yeah. Coming down Sixth Street, um, but that's good too because that promotes a problem that's been around Texas for a long time, which is you know DWIs and DUIs and whatnot. So that's good. Yeah, that and gas is so expensive; it's it's so easy to get on your bike and pretty much get anywhere you want to get around town, which I, I think is pretty awesome for Austin. Yeah, pretty quickly too. I mean, mm-hmm. you could. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of it's really like the biggest little town it, it when you when you're living there you know and that makes it i feel like that makes it a stronger community too especially for like the food and beverage world too you know music i was always there for music i never actually like did any bartending or worked in a restaurant there but you know you could still see it in every every way that there it is a very tight-knit community and uh it's cool that you know when I started bartending about a little over a decade ago now, I guess, um, seemed like everything was really still competitive, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people didn't really believe in the word synergy. Right. You know, but uh, I, I think it's so exciting the way that all of that's come around and people are actually embracing their community and their industry, you know? You, when you live here, you kind of see everything happening so quick and so much, and it's like, oh my gosh, I've been here since 90, and back in 90, I didn't own a car, I didn't have a phone, I just, I rode my bike everywhere, and 
it was this tiny little town. So you see it all growing so fast, and you don't think you have this small town, and then you know it gets to be 26 degrees, and the whole city shuts down. <laughs> Schools are closed, everything, and you're like, ah, oh, there's that small town feel. Right. Yeah, you know, like the the whole city's shutting down because it's below thirty. Right. We're just and begging for that here. <laughs> yeah, and we just had a few of those days and you know, I, I have two kids and so it like it kinda made me think just this past week, like, oh wow, Austin's still that small town. It's just that big small town. If that makes yeah. any sense. Oh absolutely. Yeah. And got the feel. It's, it's great too, especially because like when you open up a great bar like yourself, you know, it's like you can really just, it'll, it'll really stand out and shine, you know? Yeah. All those places that that I've always loved over, over the years of being around Austin, it's like, I still talk about them, you know? <laughs> and and uh, I can't wait to actually get down and uh, see, you know, like I said, it's been a couple of years, so i got to come down and maybe I'll do a... A twenty-seven bar and three-day trip, yeah. like you did last time you were here. I don't advise that. I don't advise that. <laughs> There'll be a lot, a lot of light rail traveling on that, I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, Scranton, dude, it was so nice talking with you uh, today, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Next time you're in New York, uh, swing by the studio. I would love to, and thank you very much for calling. I had a great time. Uh, and next time you're in Austin, you can come and uh, throw some drinks around. That'd be awesome, man. So let's uh, let's make sure that everyone goes to check out the website, Whistler's ATX. That's W H I S L E R S A T X dot com. That's it. Thank you so much, Damon. Thanks, Grant. Take it easy, man. Right. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>